The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I want to put a a picture up here on the screens, and I want you to look at this image. It is an image of uh, some lines, and you'll see um, these spheres that are predominantly uh, green and red and kind of a purplish color. And you'll see you've got these spheres, but also, let's see, there's about, what is there, 12 of them, it looks like? Yeah, 12 spheres. And then you'll see across this image, you'll see our lines all the way across. It kind of forms a pattern, blue, green, red, blue, green, red. And you've got these, these colors that are, are all across this image with these 12 spheres. But this, and maybe you've seen this or something like it online before, this is actually, these colors are actually creating an optical illusion. And if you look really carefully at the spheres in between the lines, you can actually see what the optical illusion are. As you really look at the color of the spheres, each of those spheres are actually not different colors, They're actually all the same color beige. But the way that the pattern works across uh, this picture is tricking our eyes. And if you look closely, you can see uh, what's going on here. You can see that on the, the spheres where the gray, or excuse me, the green lines are drawn up to the forefront, and the red and the blue go to the back, but the green is on the forefront and are on top of that sphere, those spheres look green. It actually makes the whole sphere look green and your eyes are playing a trick. You're not looking at just the lines, you're looking at the whole sphere. Same is happening with the, what looks like the red spheres. Those are actually just the same color beige sphere, but the lines that are being drawn to the forefront are red and it's making the whole sphere look kind of red or kind of pinkish. The purple spheres are when the blue line has been brought to the forefront, and it's making the whole sphere look kind of like a purplish color. Do some of you see this, or is it all, do you guys feel like I'm just lying to you? Do you kind of see what I'm talking about here? Okay, some of you are like, I don't believe it. Nope, those are multicolored spheres, and you're just going to have to Google this when you get back home. Okay, but this is um, an optical illusion. The spheres, our eyes are tricking us. They look different colors, but it's just a matter of what color you're bringing to the forefront. It colors that entire sphere. Okay, let me bring that optical illusion over to what we're talking about today. What we're talking about in this series is the idea of joy. Okay, that's the idea of the series. Hello Yellow is this idea of pursuing and choosing joy. It's exploring this idea that the Bible says there's a great secret to the Christian life, and that is that we can have lives of joy. Who doesn't want to have a joyous life? I think pretty much 100% of all of humanity says, that sounds like that would be a good thing, a good way to live. We all want that. Well, the Bible tells us the secret to how that works. The challenge is our lives in actuality really reflect kind of that pattern behind those spheres. There's different streaks of different colors in our lives. We talked about last week that uh, different disciplines and fields have pointed out that cultures, different cultures, assign emotions and meaning to colors. 
In our culture, the color blue, certain shades kind of carry with it a feeling, a meaning of sometimes sadness. Other hues kind of carry this idea of coldness to it. Reds can sometimes communicate passion or anger or fury. Green, you know, if you see a cartoon and someone has been painted green, they might be green with envy or they might be just nauseous, okay? Like their green kind of carries with it a feeling. And the color yellow is often depicted. Yellow is depicted meaning joy and cheerfulness. In our culture, when you have a smiley face, it's almost always bright, sunny yellow. You don't, we don't color our smiley faces swamp green. That's just not how we do it, okay? Yellow carries with it this feeling of cheerfulness, joy, and happiness. And if you look at kind of the intersecting colors of our life, pretty much every season has this tapestry of different colors. There are things that we're sad about. There's blues. There's things that we're grieving. There's also reds. There's things we're angry about, frustrated with. There are greens. There's things we're sick over, disgusted at. And there's always some yellows somewhere in it, something that brings just bursts of happiness or joy or things that should bring joy and happiness in our lives. And so our lives, basically every one of us, we're like one of those spheres against the backdrop of a bunch of different colors. You follow me? But here's what we tend to do. We tend to focus on one of those colors. Sadness and grief, anger and frustration, disappointment and disgust, or joy and happiness. And we tend to bring one of those colors to the forefront and we think about it and we focus on it and we we talk about it and we celebrate it or, or grieve it. And we bring one of those colors to the forefront and whichever color we bring to the forefront, it has a way of tinting that entire season of life. I want you to see what the Bible says about this idea. And, and here's what I love about God's word. Written down by humans, but inspired by God himself. It's from human authors and it has human recipients, but what the Bible says is that it's actually inspired by God, so its message is for you and me as well. And what I love about the Bible is it is so honest, so real, it has such a deep, rich understanding of what it looks like to have kind of boots on the ground, flesh and blood, walking through life and yet beckons us very realistically to joy. I want you to see what this text says, because I believe that there are some in here that if you, and maybe, and maybe in some ways all of us, that if, if you heard this, if you're watching online, you're sitting on your couch, if you heard this, if you at Cooper City, you hear this, I think there's some of us as the, if we could let this truth sink into our lives and actually change our practice, this passage that we're gonna look at could change your entire life. Your life could go from drudgery to joy by the power of God through these words. I want you to see what it says in the book of Philippians. Open with me to Philippians chapter four. We're gonna take a look at verse four. Now in this series, we've been going through uh, the book of Philippians. Philippians is 
I mean, it is so beautiful. It's so profound. We could just go line by line and spend years in Philippians, and, and we probably should. Maybe one day soon we'll do that. But for our purposes in this series, we're doing kind of a macro level, 30,000 foot view fly through Philippians because it is a book that is dripping with the idea of joy. So let's pick it up, Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now let's just get our bearings here. We're gonna pause right there just after the first verse. Let's just get our bearings in this text. This is one of those verses in this book. It's a letter from Paul to the Christians in Philippi. So he's writing to the Philippians. That's why the book is called that. It's really a letter. And this is one of those verses that makes it dripping with joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. This is a command from Paul, who is one of their spiritual leaders. It's a command from Paul to the Philippians. But remember, God's inspired Paul to write it. So it's not just from Paul to the Philippians. It's from God to us. This is not just a suggestion. It's not just an invitation. Here's what I want you to feel the force of this verse. God is commanding us to rejoice. It is a command. It is God the Father looking down from heaven and saying, not my children. I'm not going to let my children wallow. I've got so much more for them. I want them to open their eyes and receive their inheritance of joy, a life marked with joy. He commands us to rejoice. It's not optional for the Christian. It is a command to rejoice. Now, here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's the only difference right there, right? Everyone rejoices when good things happen. I mean, virtually everyone. Now, there are some times that even in good things, we can find the one bad thing. But for the most part, the general tendency of humanity is we rejoice in, in good things when we perceive good things happen, and, and we don't rejoice in bad things. But here's what the Bible says. Rejoice in the Lord Always. Okay, this is where we kind of pull the e-brake and say, okay, look, I know that that's kind of like Bible talk. I know that that's thing that we all say, yeah, on Sunday, and then we walk out saying, yeah, that's impossible. Like, who's really going to do that? But here's what I love about the Bible. Let me remind you of the context this was written. At the moment that Paul is writing this, and this is why it's so profound that God writes through these human authors, because at the moment that Paul is writing this, He's in jail for something he didn't do. He just preached the gospel. It wasn't treason. It was just the message of hope to the world. He's probably chained and, and uncomfortable. He can't go free. He's wondering if he's going to be executed. He almost certainly, this was and eventually his execution. We know he eventually was. As this is probably when he was about to be executed. His friends are, have betrayed him. They're talking bad about him behind his back. He's lost his freedom. So let's just review. This is the lowest point for Paul circumstantially, the lowest point physically. He had chronic pain that he dealt with, and now he's even confined, probably in literal chains. The lowest point circumstantially, the lowest point physically, and one of the lowest points, if not the lowest point, relationally. He's isolated, and even his friends, many of them have betrayed him. I love that God allows us to see such extreme circumstances. And you know, I, I believe 
in his relationship with God, Paul in prison, at some point, just in faithfulness and honesty, was like, Lord, why are you allowing this? And there's probably many, many reasons, but there's one reason that he might not have been able to perceive until almost 2,000 years later as part of the cloud of witnesses looking over in heaven and witnessing. It's because people in 2022 wouldn't believe this text unless someone really, really suffering wrote it. And it's a grace to us that he allowed Paul to suffer so that we would take this seriously. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And what you see flowing out of this, this book is true joy dripping every page of this book. Paul is not just kind of lifting it up. It's flowing out of him. And he's trying to pass it over to the Philippians. And God wants to pass it over to the South Floridians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, there, there's some things about... Um, there's some things that stand in our way with rejoicing in the Lord always, right? And that's, that's why I love where this text goes next because it's so real. The Bible understands you. In fact, we know God understands you more than you understand you. He understands me more than I understand me, and this is his word. He knows what our primary obstacle is to, is to joy. Look what he says next. Let's pick it up in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we think about having joy and rejoicing in the Lord, like singing with a, a genuine smile on our face, dancing before the Lord, walking through life with an authentic smile on our face, feeling joy welling up inside of us, there is one major obstacle and blocker in our lives. It's called anxiety. There's stress. So when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, I love that the Bible knows us well enough to say, okay, I know that you've got a blocker called anxiety, so let's talk about how to deal with anxiety. And the first thing he does is undercut what we believe about anxiety. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and then he says, and be anxious for nothing. Always have joy. We're like, I'm not sure that's possible. The Bible says, well, your thinking's wrong. It is possible and be anxious for nothing. And we're like, I don't think that's possible. I'm pretty sure there are some things that warrant anxiety. And he says, no, your thinking's wrong. You have the capacity, Christian, to be anxious about nothing. And again, you're like, all right, I don't know. I think this is just things that preachers have to say because it's in the Bible. I'm not sure that I really believe it. But again, look at the, the Paul is waiting to see if he's going to be executed, like torturously, and he will be. And he's the one that God uses to pen these words. So you say, okay, you're going to have to give me a little bit more than that, God, because I've, I've got a lot of anxiety. I'm not just going to be like, you know, plugging my ears, closing my eyes. I'm not anxious. I'm not anxious. You're going to have to give me more than that to do. And he tells us what to do. Here's the thing about anxiety. Um, anxiety happens when we operate through life trying to maintain control, and we suddenly find ourselves without control. That's what anxiety is. 
It's the loss of control. It's the discomfort for no longer having control. This past week, I was going through a drive-through and it took about 20 minutes for me to get what I thought would have been fast food, okay? <laughs> I drove through, I did my part, okay? Like I said what I wanted very clearly. I didn't do like a bunch of, you know, changes, like just like that one, the number. I'll give you a number, it's super easy, okay? That number, I even paid, okay? Like I paid the money and then we waited and waited and waited and they said, why don't you move forward? It's gonna take a little longer. I'm like, okay. So we pull forward and 15 minutes later, okay, they came out with the food. And there was a point in which um, like, I'm like, is this a scam? Like, do they serve food in there? Like, is this just some like, are they just cheating people out of their money and they know I'll leave eventually? Okay, and what was happening is my anxiety was rising because I knew there was literally nothing that I could do. I can't go back into the kitchen. Like, they'll call the police. You know, I, I don't even know how to make what they're making for me. I don't know what to do. Okay, but I'm just waiting and can't do anything about it. And something so silly as waiting for the food just a little longer than I had anticipated my anxiety start to rose. That's what anxiety is. It's when suddenly you are operating like you're in control and now you don't have control. You live a healthy lifestyle and then all of a sudden there's the threat or maybe the confirmation of a bad health diagnosis and you feel out of control. I, I can't, I'm just waiting for the doctor to call back. I don't know what's gonna happen. It's I'm trying to be a faithful employee, but I don't know what, the, what my, I'm at the mercy of my boss and what he does. I'm trying to be faithful financially, but I'm at the mercy of the market or the economy or whatever it may be. I, I'm trying to map out my career, but if this one deal doesn't happen, if this one promotion doesn't happen, if this one thing doesn't happen, if this one investment doesn't hit, if this one product isn't a success, I'm at the mercy of that for my, for my plan to work itself out. Man, I, I can only do my part, but I've got all these people that, that in this, in, that maybe a family member or a, or a friend or maybe this person, this coworker, I have these people around me that they're making relationships difficult and I can only control what I can control. And, and since I cannot control their reactions, I'm feeling anxiety. All anxiety is is the discomfort of realizing you're out of control, that you don't have it. But here's some good news for you, Christian. You already know that you don't have any control. So why should you ever feel anxiety? You know you never had control. That's why he says, be anxious for nothing because the Lord is near. Here's what it is. It starts with theology. It says You may be here and say, look, I'm not even sure what I believe about Jesus or I don't know what I think about church or I don't know, but I do believe in some kind of higher power. If you believe in a higher power, you know there is someone other than you who is in control. But then here's the question. Is he busy running another galaxy or is he near to my problems? Is he near to my relationship problems, financial problems, career problems, health problems? Is he near to my problems? And here's what he says, be anxious for nothing because the one who is in control is near. And so you wait, resting. I don't need to have control. I never did. It's all in his, in, in his hands. And so here's what we do. It prescribes because he knows, because God knows the waiting is torturous. He gives us something to do in the waiting. Present your request to God. That's what it says. So here's what I do. 
I say, okay, God, I'm anxious. I've forgotten that you're in control. I've never been in control. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna imagine that you're holding out your hands like this, your mighty, perfectly powerful hands. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna just start presenting my request. And I'm just gonna take these things and I'm gonna start offloading them into your hands. God, there is nothing I can do about this health diagnosis. So I ask that you would keep me healthy, but I'm gonna put that in your hands because you know what's best. God, there's nothing I can do with finances. I don't control my finances. I can just, out of honoring you, I can be wise, but you're in control. This is what I would ask. Lord, my, my career, it's not really my career because you're the king and I do whatever you ask, so it's your plan for my life. And so I, I might have goals, but they're the goals I think you've given me. And so whether or not I reach them is your business. So I just put my career in your hands and I put this job interview in your hands. I put this, this opportunity in your hands. I, I just, I'm just gonna offload the request in your hands. He says, present your request with God. And he says, and do that with thanksgiving is what this says. Here's how I like to think about Thanksgiving in this moment. Thanksgiving, I want you to imagine Thanksgiving is after you've placed all of those requests in God's hands. Thanksgiving is basically you closing his hands over your requests so you don't take them back out of his hand. It's like you say like this, okay, I, I've exhausted everything I can think of to, to put on your hands with all my anxiety, so I'm just gonna start thanking you. Thank you that you're near. Thank you that you are all powerful. I mean, God, nothing can stop you. You're in control of the cells in my body, every person on the planet. You, you stop, your angels stopped whole armies. You, you run whole galaxies. My problems are puny, and I'm thankful for that. God, I'm going to thank you for the times I can remember that I had a fervent prayer request, and you said no, and I look back, and I'm so glad you didn't say yes. I'm going to leave it in your hands. God, I'm going to thank you that I know that you see me as a son or you see me as a daughter. You're a father and you don't treat me like my sins deserve. You treat me like I have the righteousness of Jesus. And so I thank you that you're going to work all things together for good. And I'm going to, why would I ever take these out of your mighty hands? And you've closed his hands with thanksgiving. You've offloaded the request. You've closed it up with thanksgiving. And now you have this peace this peace of God that transcends understanding. It's a peace, listen, that you cannot get to unless you know the almighty God through Jesus Christ. You have a secret. You know what to do with anxiety. You know who's in control. And it's never been you. So he says, rejoice always. But let's be honest, you're a human and you forget you're not God sometimes. Rejoice always. And remember, because you're not in charge of the universe, you're not even in charge of your life, you're not really even in charge of your own body. So let me remind you, don't be anxious because it's gonna take some work. Here's what you do. You offload your requests and you close up God's hands securely around it with thanksgiving. But now you've got a vacuum, right? Well, I'm not going to think about those things because they're in God's hands. What do I do now with my empty brain? Not literally empty, you know, just you don't have thoughts. Well, maybe some of us, it's a little empty. But. What do you do? Let's pick it up in verse 8. Finally, brothers, 
Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, so here's how you stay in that moment. Here's how you offload your requests into his hands. Close up his hands securely around it with thanksgiving. And now in the vacuum of your heart and mind and soul, here's what you do. You fill it with all of the wonderful things around you. Look at the types of things. He says, think about it. This is a command. Christian, here is what you put your mind to. You think about things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. You set your mind on those things. Once you've worked through the anxiety, offloaded it, close it up with thanksgiving, you intentionally choose what things you set your mind on. And then let's just finish it up with these last two verses. You've got to see what he says here at the end. Verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. For where indeed, for you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. Look at this. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, what's the word right there? Content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says, I've learned a secret that I want to pass on to you, Philippians. I mean, in some kind of secret, if he's so filled with joy in such dire circumstances. He says, I have a secret. I know that there are seasons of my life that I'm abounding. And there's seasons of my life where I'm brought low. I'm, there's times that I have plenty. There's times that I'm hungry. And really, for our lives, usually it's some web and entanglement and combination of those things. Maybe in some season, it's like I'm relationally feeling uh, plenty, but maybe in my career, I'm, I'm starving. Maybe there's ways in my health that I'm, I'm feeling like I've got abundance and ways in my health that I'm, I'm feeling like in need. Maybe there's times when, um, when it's spiritually I'm feeling full, but financially I'm feeling low. He says, no matter what it is, I know a secret. I have found contentment. He's learned the secret, what he's focusing on in this, in this time. He says, you've seen this in me. He says, I'm just showing you what I am doing when I am in such dire straits. And at the other end of it, he says, I am so full of joy. He knows where to focus his mind. And he's brought those things to the surface of his life, and it's tinted his whole life. Here's what we've been learning in this series. In week one, here's what we looked at. We learned that joy, it is possible no matter what you're going through. 
Joy is a choice. You choose joy. If you wait throughout your life for all your circumstances to align and just wait around for joy to be produced naturally, that's not how joy works. You'll never find it. It doesn't just strike you. A thrill may strike you, but deep, lasting, ongoing, unconquerable joy that floods your life and has staying power through your life, that joy is a choice. It's more than a choice, though. It's a command. God's saying, I'm not going to put up with my children who have so much to be joyful about being anything other than joyful. So you are released, freed, sent, commissioned for lives of joy. We said, okay, that's great, but you're going to have to give me a little bit more to do that. Last week, what we talked about is when it comes to joy, joy and a self-centered life are not compatible. If you are living to serve yourself, you will never be content but it's so much more joyful to bring joy and to, and to ignite joy in other people's lives. And so we talked about the way, the formula for joy is you put Jesus number one in your life, you put others second, and you put yourself third. And we commissioned ourselves last week to those around us, man, look for opportunities to bring others joy. And I don't know about you, but as I went through this week and found an opportunity here or there to really produce joy in someone's life, those were the best parts of my week. Those are the things I still am excited about, producing joy in someone else, lifting them up, man, serving someone and getting an insight on how to do that. Man, that's some of the most beautiful, joyful, exciting parts of my week. It's a true secret to joy. But here's the third part that we're learning today. Joy is about where you put your focus. It's just like those spheres. You're like those spheres. In the sense, we're all the same color sphere in that we can we have the capacity to choose which parts of our life which colors of our life we bring to the forefront and accentuate and in other words i want you to think of it like this every person goes through life making one of two different lists you wake up in the morning and you start subconsciously start making a list And you're either making a list of the things that are not going exactly how you'd want it. Oh, I went to go eat breakfast and I forgot, you know, we're out of bagels, you know. Oh, that's frustrating. I got to do that, okay? And then, oh, I don't have gas in the car. I got to get gas. Oh, there's traffic. And, and then, you know, oh, man, I ended up being late to work. And I got the, you know, I got like the sideways glance from one of my coworkers. And that coworker's late all the time. So that makes me mad at that coworker. And I got all this extra work. And someone took credit for something I did. And, and then I got home and, you know, the kids got a bad report at school. And now they're in a bad mood and this and that. And I got all this homework. And why did they assign that much homework? And I got to bed late. And I don't like my mattress. It's uncomfortable. And I, you know, my back's now sore. That's why I'm in all this pain. We're making a list of all the things that don't measure up to our expectations. Or we're making, or, and we're drawing out the blues and the greens and the reds. Or we're making another kind of list. All the things that are true, pure, excellent, worthy of praise. We're drawing out all the beautiful, joyful things. We wake up and we're like, I was not guaranteed this day. Another day to breathe in and out. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, 
I've got to open up the, the refrigerator. Oh, there's no bagels. I can't believe that I get to have a refrigerator. And when I open the refrigerator and say there's nothing to eat, that's kind of an exaggeration. Well, I, I actually um, have a store nearby that I could go buy food and actually have money to buy food. Man, I, I can't believe that I'm not taking the bus to work today. <laughs> I have a vehicle I drive in. Or I'm, I'm taking the bus today and I live in a society that has infrastructure that could help me get to a paying job. I'm on my way to work and I'm late and I get the sideways glance, but I'm like, man, I'm just glad I made it because I have a friend who's out of work. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad I have a place to work. Man, my kids go to school. My kids are not walking a mile every day to a well to get water to bring back to our hut. The water they're bringing back is probably contaminated and actually poisoning our family, but they're so busy getting some kind of water they can't go to school. My kids go to school and have homework and are getting educated. Thank you. And as I'm putting my disgruntled children down to sleep, I say, I have children. Thank you, God. You blessed me with these children that we had or we adopted or we fostered. What a joy to have children in my life. And I want to pull my hair out sometimes, but... <laughs> There's so many streaks of yellow in your life. The Bible's saying, think about them. Just think about them. Now, see, here's the thing. You've got to hear this, Christian. There's so much truth in how God wired the human brain to work that there are other ideologies that are trying to tap into this truth. And they, they get to the fringes, but they can never get to the depths that you as a Christ follower can get to. Hear me on this. There's two different ideologies in particular. One comes at it from a kind of open spiritualist kind of way, and the other comes at it from a, uh, from a very like um, uh, motivational thinking kind of way. The spiritual sa way says, yes, that's right. Go through life and think positive thoughts and send those vibes out into the universe. That's what you want to do. The secret is that you send ripple currents through your life of positive thinking, and that actually begins to change the circumstances around you. And it handles it from a spiritual side. Here's what's happening. They're trying to tap in because they know as they've followed what God says here, something is changing, but they don't know what to do with it because they're not going to the source of God's truth. So they're only getting a piece of it, but it comes up short. The other side comes at it from a motivational speaking standpoint. You go to a conference, and someone with a lot of energy, really caffeinated, comes out. <laughs> and you're a winner. You can do it. You just got to look at yourself in the mirror and talk to yourself about, you're amazing. You can do it. You look at all of your experience. You, you can do this, and nothing can stop you. You can be whoever you want to be, okay? 
No, you can't, okay? You can't be whoever. I, I thought I was going to be a wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins, okay? And as hard as I believed that, okay, it didn't happen, all right? That was a dream that was crashed in my life, all right? The bottom line is, as much as you believe, here's what both of those ideologies are doing. They're trying to tap into this idea of drawing the good things forward, but they don't know what to do with the anxious things in your life. And so here's what they're both telling you to do. They're trying to just help you feel like you've regained control, right? The motivational speaker is saying, no, you can control your outcomes. No, you can do it. No, you are smart enough, educated enough, crafty enough, creative enough. And so the way they're treating anxiety, the joy blocker, as you're trying to pull the yellows up front, what do you do with the reds, greens, and blues? Those anxiety, they're saying you can control them, you can win. It's trying to put you back in control. The spiritual side, it's here's the secret. As you send those vibes out into the universe, you're actually controlling your destiny. Those two ideas, that what they're both telling you is you are in control. That's how they're dealing with anxiety. And by telling you that you're in control, it's the oldest trick in the book, literally. Genesis chapter 3, the serpent told Adam and Eve, no, God doesn't want you to be like him. If you want to be like God, you go get that fruit. Those ideologies are trying to make us in control. They're trying to make us God. We're not in control. So they're on the fringes but they can't get all the way in because you have to have an almighty God who's good and near, who's your father, to truly release control to him and walk away without anxiety. The rest is just whitewashing a cracked wall and broken foundation. As we walk forward with, with this list, think of how the logic of how this works as you walk through life with thankfulness, making a list of all the yellows, as you think about that, of course that's gonna bring out joy in you. Of course, when you think about the things you don't have, all it's gonna produce is discontentment, right? You know someone who has so much more than you do and are discontent. You know people who have so much less than you do and have more contentment than you have. Trick is thankfulness. Wow, look what I have. Filling your mind with those things. It's that what you have that any other ideology doesn't have is you have what it says in Psalm 118. You wake up in the morning, your feet hit the ground, and you say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's not, this is the day that I will make my own destiny happen. It's not, this is the day that I'm going to send vibes out and control my, my destiny. It's not, this is the day where I will win, I will make it happen. No, no. It's something far better. This is the day the Lord has made. And the Lord only makes masterpieces. So I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Why would, I, why would I rejoice in that? Here's the secret. 
It's in everything. It's Christ who gives you strength. Hear me on this. It's not just knowing that there's a God. It's knowing that Jesus Christ saved you and what he did, that's a game changer. What does the scripture say? The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, look to him who for the joy set before him, it was joy set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. He walked through the cross, the most torturous moment a human body could go through, and he took the shame, the most horrific thing anyone could, could undertake. He took our sin on the cross, and he took that horror and defeated it. He as a warrior went out against death itself, Face death, he died on a cross, laid in a tomb, came out of the tomb, the only person who could defeat death because he's God in the flesh. He defeats your greatest enemy so that even death isn't scary. This is what Paul says in Philippians. He says, I'm here, I'm probably gonna be executed, but it actually would be better. I get to go to be with Jesus. He defeated death, and then he, he took all of our sin, all of our shame, so all wrath and punishment is permanently paid for. Do you understand what Jesus did? Here's why Christ is your strength. Because when he rose from the dead and paid for your sins, it's like he changed the default mode of the universe towards you. So that now every bad thing that happens in your life, because God doesn't treat you for your sins, but treats you like you have the righteousness of Christ, because you've been adopted into his family and he calls you son or daughter, he's now working all things together for good in your life. It's not random. It's not punishment. He's turned the default mode of this universe so you know even the bad things, you have joy because you're anticipating that the, the very trajectory of Jesus, which is suffering up to glory. You know that will now be your trajectory. You may go through a hard thing, but it will be for your good. And you rest in that. How could you not possibly be filled with joy, Christian? You have Jesus. How could you not be filled with joy? Here's how I want to challenge you this week. When you came in, whether you're at Cooper City or here when you came in, you got a yellow rubber band. If you did not get one of those, try and grab one on your way out. If you're at home, I want you to grab a rubber band this week. And here's my challenge to you. I want you to wear this on your wrist every day, everywhere you go. And as you look at that yellow stripe across your wrist, I want in every room you go into, in every circumstance, in every encounter, I want you to look for the yellow stripes that you can draw to the surface of that moment. I want you to look for the things that are true and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy and think about those things in those circumstances. Some of you, maybe your default mode is to look at the reds and the blues and to look at the bad things, so maybe you just need to give yourself a little snap on the wrist, okay? I don't know, maybe some of you need that little Pavlovian kind of experience, okay? That might be what you need. But I, the challenge is you wear this around every day. You walk through that. And Christian, don't you want the joy of the Lord that's offered you to dominate your life day in and day out? It is for freedom you've been set free, Christian. 
He says, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief wants to steal your joy, but Jesus came that you may have life and have it abundantly. It's because of Jesus he's offering you joy no matter what this week holds. Choose joy, find joy, see joy, and walk in joy. For some of you, that first step, I mentioned some of you are here and like, look, I don't know what to do about Jesus and I'm, I kind of loosely am kind of spiritual. You've got to know it's not just an impersonal force out there. It is a God. Here's the incredible truth. I mean, hear this. Don't you at least even want this to be true? That the perfect, holy creator God that made every galaxy in the universe knows you intimately. He invented you. He wired you together. He's seen everything that you've ever done, said, and walked through and loves you beyond what you can imagine. And you say, yeah, but he's seen some bad things. And he came to earth in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and paid for all of those sins, washing them away, past, present, and future, permanently. Well, what do I have to do to get that? It's free. How could you possibly do anything to earn such a gift? You just receive it. Forgiveness is offered for free. Be restored to your creator, your king, King Jesus, who's on the throne. Be restored to Jesus today. Let me lead you in a prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Some of you are sitting here and you want to receive that forgiveness. And if that's you, I just want to lead you in a prayer. Maybe you're sitting there in Cooper City. Maybe you're sitting there at home, maybe watching this on the couch with your family or roommates, or watching it on your computer, your phone, I want to lead you in this prayer. Maybe you're here in, at the West Pines campus, and you're like, I, I want to give my allegiance to King Jesus today. I'm going to follow him. Just begin that journey. Find salvation once and for all with a simple prayer. Would you just pray this just silently in your seat? Just say, Jesus, I receive you. Thank you for saving me. You're my king. I'm so glad you're in control. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If that was you and that was your, your simple prayer, don't let the simplicity and the quietness of that moment fool you. Something profound happened. Your life is transformed forever. Your eternity is transformed. And so here's the thing, we want to know, if that was your prayer just then, whether you're watching online or you're here, I want you to grab that cell phone. I want you to go to cityrev.org faith. It's going to ask you a couple questions. And the reason is we want to mail you a Bible. You might say, hey, can I, is there a way, if you're here, you say, can I get a Bible today? Yes, you can get a Bible today. On that Get Connected card, you just check the box as you put your faith in Jesus and take that to guest services, that table in the front lobby. They will put a Bible in your hands today. We want to celebrate that incredible moment. Church, in the end, if you have Jesus, you have everything. It changes the tint of every circumstance. Every blue becomes yellow, every red, every green, all of it becomes yellow. There's always a reason for joy because of the work Jesus did. And you know, even death itself is the beginning of eternal life. 
if you have Jesus, what else do you need? Let's declare that out loud. Let's declare it to him so that our hearts and our minds catch up with that truth. Let's sing that together. Would you stand with me as we close with this song? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.